Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, and in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So the Exodus story is our story. Each of us lives on a journey, and if you're a Christian, that's a journey out of slavery in Egypt, and now through the wilderness toward God's promised land. It's a journey on which we leave some things behind in order to take on some new things. We give up our old lives in order to live Jesus' life. Last week, we began this series by talking about Egypt, by talking about our bondage, Thankfully, none of us are literally enslaved, but the metaphor works. We feel stuck. We feel trapped. We feel maybe even resigned to life as it is. We feel the ache and the tug, but wonder if we could possibly ever give up the very things that keep us safe in Egypt. And it's into that slavery that we heard God speak to Moses and to us. I've heard their cries. I know their pain, and I've come down, God says, to bring them out of that land and bring them into a good and a broad land. This is the vision of God's hope, a good and a broad land, big sky country, freedom. And as we begin to believe in that possibility, maybe, just maybe, we can leave our stories our slavery behind. If your heart's yearning for a good and a broad land, then I want to invite you this morning to do whatever you need to, to listen well to these words from the book that burns but is never burned up. When Egypt's king was told that the people had run away Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people. They said, what have we done? Letting Israel go free from their slavery to us. So he sent for his chariot and took his army with him. He took 600 elite chariots and all of Egypt's other chariots with captains on them. The Lord made Pharaoh, Egypt's king, stubborn, and he chased the Israelites who were leaving confidently. The Egyptians, including all of Pharaoh's horse-drawn chariots, his cavalry, and his army, chased them and caught up with them as they were camped by the sea, by Pi-Haharath, in front of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh drew closer, the Israelites looked back and saw the Egyptians marching toward them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, "'Weren't there enough graves in Egypt?' That you brought us out here into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt like this? Didn't we tell you the same thing in Egypt? Leave us alone. Let us work for the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to work for the Egyptians than to die in the desert. But Moses said to his people, Don't be afraid. Stand your ground. And watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You just keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? 
Tell the Israelites to get moving. As for you, lift your shepherd's rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and split it in two so that the Israelites can go into the sea on dry ground. But me, I'll make the Egyptians stubborn so that they will go in after them, and I'll gain honor at the expense of Pharaoh, all his army, his chariots, and his cavalry. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain honor. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain honor at the expense of Pharaoh, his chariots, and his cavalry. Then God's messenger, who'd been, behind, who'd been in front of Israel's camp, moved and went behind them. And the column of cloud moved from the front and took its place behind them. It stood between Egypt's camp and Israel's camp, and the cloud remained there. And when darkness fell, it lit up the night. And they didn't come near each other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord pushed the sea back by a strong east wind, all night turning the sea into dry land. The waters were split into two. The Israelites walked into the sea on dry ground. The waters formed a wall for them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians chased them and went into the sea after them, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and cavalry. As morning approached, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian camp from the column of lightning and cloud and threw the Egyptian camp into a panic. The Lord jammed their chariot wheels so they wouldn't turn easily. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites because the Lord's fighting for them against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters come back and cover the Egyptians, their chariots and their cavalry. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. At daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. The Egyptians were driving toward it, and the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the cavalry. Pharaoh's entire army that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. The Israelites, however, walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters formed a wall for them on their right hand and on their left. The Lord rescued Israel from the Egyptians that day. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the amazing power of the Lord against the Egyptians, and the people were in awe of the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'm going to need these. So how's this series been so far? We're only one in, um, but those in pilgrim groups, have you had some good discussions already? Um, I'm able to be part of two, and we've had great conversations in each of them. It seems like the story last week has been connecting with people, that it's resonating in their lives and bringing some stuff up, which I think is great. The question, though, is what do we do with that? right? We were challenged last week to see that we're in bondage, that those places in our lives where we feel stuck or resigned are areas of Egyptian slavery, that the Exodus story isn't just the story of Israel, but it's our story too, that God is also calling us out of slavery, that God desires to rescue us 
and to bring us to a good and broad land of abundant life. And I think a lot of people were able to see, yes, this this area of my life, this relationship or this thing over here, I've never thought of it as slavery before, but I can see that. Maybe last week as you listened, something came to mind for you. God pointed to an area of your life and you saw something, you heard something, you felt the tug. But what now? What would change even look like? What step could you possibly take? What would freedom even be? Maybe the road seemed too treacherous, so you've already given up and settled back in to life in Egypt. Or maybe you've formulated a plan. You've summoned the strength from deep within. You've thrown off the shackles that held you and are heading off into the wilderness in a great show of strength and effort and resolve. However you're responding, it's important to see the next chapter in Israel's story as they begin to actually walk out of Egypt this week. They come to the dead end we all soon come to, the Red Sea. We jumped into the story right as Pharaoh changed his mind. In the Passover, Pharaoh had decided to let the people go. He was sick of all these plagues from God, said, just go. But soon, in the light of day or a couple days later, realized the impact to GDP would just be too much to let all these slaves go, summoned the full force of their army and sent them out to bring these slaves back. Slavery is not going to give up without a fight. Israel had a few days lead, but soon finds themselves backed into this corner. In front of them is the Red Sea. Behind them is the greatest military power in the world coming at a dead sprint. On the one side are their captors doubling down on their efforts to drag them back into slavery. And on the other side is the sea. Now, the sea has a greater significance than you might first assume. Waters in the Hebrew worldview mean something. The sea, the tumultuous waters, are always a symbol of chaos and destruction. They showed up first in Genesis 1. The whole Bible begins in this way. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void and darkness covered over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God, hovered over the waters. And it's out of those waters that God makes creation. The earth was this formless darkness, a destructive nothingness, out of which God brings order and creation. And in the Hebrew worldview, you see this in the Psalms again and again, the world is actually established on these destructive waters. And the waters that lie under God's creation are always threatening to break out and destroy creation again. That's actually what happened in the flood story. God opens the floodgates, allows these destructive waters to again cover the earth and bring death and destruction with it that God may begin again. On one side is slavery. On the other is drowning and destruction. Feel familiar? On the one side is the very thing that holds you captive, the place where you're stuck, 
but the only way out seems like drowning. The only other option is to jump into the seas of chaos that seem sure to swallow you up. At the beginning of last week's bulletin, one of the quotes to reflect on was a quote by Gerald May, who's an expert in addiction. It was how he began one of his books on addiction. He said, I'm not being flippant when I say that all of us suffer from addiction, nor am I reducing the meaning of addiction. I mean in all truth that the psychological, neurological, and spiritual dynamics of full-fledged addiction are actively at work within every human being. The same processes that are responsible for addiction to alcohol and narcotics are also responsible for addiction to ideas, work, relationships, power, moods, fantasies, and an endless number of other things. We are all addicts in every sense of the word. Yikes, huh? We're all addicted. We've all tried every way out of which we can conceive. We've tried trying. We've tried trying harder. We've tried trying smarter. We've tried trying something different. And every time we try for freedom, we find ourselves right back here on the shores of the Red Sea with our addiction and slavery charging hard behind us and chaos and destruction and drowning on the other side. It's no wonder Israel cries out, Why did you bring us here? We were happy in ignorance in slavery. Weren't there enough graves back in Egypt, they said? Yeah, it wasn't great, but it beats this. You dragged us out here to taste freedom just so we could be killed or dragged back into slavery? They're trapped. We're trapped. And that's where God does something interesting. You ever seen the movie Aladdin? Like the real one from the 90s? It was one of my favorite movies growing up, mostly because of Jasmine, but don't tell Sam. (laughs) There's a scene in it where Aladdin and Jasmine, after they've first met, are running, trying to escape from the police that are chasing them. They're running for their lives, frantically trying to get away from them. Jasmine doesn't want to be discovered and dragged back to the palace, her own slavery, and Aladdin is worried about something worse happening after they've stolen some things. And they're eventually stuck. They burst through and find themselves on a balcony. The police burst through after them. They are trapped. They're stuck. They're cornered. All hope seems lost when Aladdin leans over to Jasmine and says, Do you trust me? And they jump. When there's no other way out, God asks the Israelites to do the unthinkable. Do you trust me? Then get going. Walk into the waters. What if the only way out of this whole thing is down? We're trapped. We've tried every which way out and still we're trapped here. What if the only way out is down? What if freedom comes not by striving harder or smarter or differently or by trying the newest advice or the latest trend or the best fad diet or workout or time management technique, but instead comes with surrender? 
It's in the Old Testament, waters aren't just a symbol of chaos and destruction. They're also a symbol, they become a symbol of God's salvation. In the flood, it's those waters, sure, that destroy and kill, but it's also those waters that cleanse the earth of evil that God may begin again. In the Nile River, earlier when they're in slavery, and Pharaoh commands every male child be thrown into the Nile to be drowned, it's on those very waters that Moses himself is saved and carried, that he might be raised within Pharaoh's own house and prepared to lead the people out of Egypt one day. Here in the Red Sea, God saves the Israelites on dry ground and destroys their enemies that they may be free once and for all from slavery in Egypt. And on the other side of the wilderness, it's through the Jordan River that also miraculously parts that the people walk on dry land to come into God's promises. Jonah is thrown into the sea to be drowned and killed as a sacrifice to appease God. And yet it's in those same waters that a giant fish swallows him to give him another chance to be faithful. Over and over again in Scripture, the very waters that are meant to be a symbol of destruction and of chaos, God also uses to rescue God's people. And the song that Israel then sings over and over again throughout their history, the song that litters the pages of Scripture, is a song Israel sings when death and destruction are certain, and yet they burst forth into praise to say, God has saved us with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And this idea that water is a symbol both of destruction and salvation doesn't just stay in the Old Testament. It's the foundation of our baptisms. Jesus speaks of his impending crucifixion as the baptism that he must endure. And it's through that very destruction, that horrific death on a cross, that Jesus brings salvation to the rest of us destroying sin and death forever. In Romans 6, it says, As surely as we've been buried with him in a death like his, so also we'll be raised with him in a resurrection like his. These waters have become far too domesticated. We'll come to them in just a little bit. But these are waters of the flood This is death and destruction and chaos. As we die, we go into these waters. We're buried in them with Christ. We go down into them and die. But God uses these same waters of death and destruction to bring our new life about. God is able to bend even these places back to God's purposes for the world. What if the only way out is down? What if the only way out of our slavery is to give up trying to escape? Give up all our own exit strategies, all our own plans and hard work. What if our escape comes only when we give up control? Because if we're ever going to get out of this, out of slavery alive, God is going to have to do the work. We noted earlier that all our Egypts are addictions. Well, it's no coincidence the first two steps in AA are this. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. And two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Admitting we're powerless, giving up control, 
and believing in a power greater than ourselves. Standing here on the shores of the Red Sea, God asks Israel, do you trust me? And then pulls off one of the most miraculous rescues of all time. The curtain of smoke and fire and lightning moves to between the two camps, separating them from each other. The strong east wind opens up the waters to dry land. The Israelites cross on them miraculously with water like walls on each side. God then allows the Egyptians to lay chase and then releases the seas to swallow the entire army whole, destroying it forever. The people of God are saved through the waters of destruction. The very waters that are meant to destroy, that do destroy Egypt, carry them safely into freedom. It was God's action that brought them out of slavery. God is the one that did everything that needed doing. And the Israelites find themselves now standing on the far shore, their captors destroyed with nothing left to do but to praise this God who's brought them out with a mighty hand. And the chapter that comes is Moses and Miriam's songs of praise to the God who rescues. Chuck DeGroat, in his book, Leaving Egypt, said it this way, We begin our own journey into the wilderness when we honestly admit that our life is a bloody mess. When we confess our powerlessness to defeat the enslavements of our lives. It's an exit strategy that defies conventional wisdom and quick fixes. But it's crucial for our successful navigation through the wilderness ahead. One of the pilgrim groups I was in this last week, um, one of the members shared bravely and deeply about some stuff going on in their life. They said that over the last couple of years, they've been seeing a lot of different things. And that last week, as they read that Gerald May quote I gave you earlier, it all kind of coalesced for them. And they were able to see themselves like they hadn't seen themselves before. And they realized they'd been addicted. Addicted to control. Addicted to being in charge. Addicted to being the one that got to make all the decisions. And that it had stretched out through their entire life. And that, sure, there were great things that came as a result. They were successful in business because of it at times, but it also led to their downfall again and again and again. And as they began to see all of this now together clearly, they said the other thing God has been doing in their life is allowing them to just let go of it, to just leave it behind, and to trust in God stepping out into the wilderness. It's in these waters of chaos and destruction that we are reborn. It's sinking into the ground and dying where we are finally raised. But this is not a quick fix. Everything is not perfect on the other side of the Red Sea. We are out of slavery, but we are rescued into a desert, into wilderness, a period of wandering and hardship. But we are set free. And like Israel, we have seen the mighty hand of God, the same hand that will continue to guide us through the wilderness, that will continue to hold us in the desert, and that will one day bring us home. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these waters of baptism.
the sign and seal of all that you are doing, of your new covenant of grace with us, that as we come into these waters, as we give up control of our own lives, as we die to ourselves, Lord, help us to trust that you will catch us, that you will shepherd us safely through on dry land and bring us, Lord, to the other side. Lord, continue to grow our faith and our trust in you. Continue to receive our lives and all that we give to you now. And as we come to these waters of baptism, Lord, continue to remind us that we too have died and have been raised, that we too have been set free and washed clean, that all we hear here is true of us as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.